Let's take a moment to pray. Hey Jesus, thanks for the opportunity to be here. Thanks for the privilege of opening your word this morning. My prayer, Holy Spirit, is that you would move and work and help the words of this book jump off the page into our lives. Please literally stop me from speaking anything that's not from you. And please help what we say, what you would like to say this morning, to encourage others, to convict others, to draw all of us close to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I would like to ask you uh, to close your eyes and listen to something as the slide deck comes up any second here and I want to read to you something that potentially is might have been what you would have heard uh, not quite 2,000 years ago in our K ain halagas kai halagas ain prastan theu kai theos ain halagas hutos ain in Arkei pras tan theon. Kahalagas sarks eginatal kai eskenu osin in hemin kai ethel esa metha tan daxan autu daxan hos menaginamos para patras. Play, play race, keris tos kai elatheas. Okay, thank you. For those of you who don't know, that was John chapter 1, a few verses there. Today I'm going to give you the third choice of sermon that I had. I would have rather given you two other sermons this morning. Um, but... I felt God was impressing upon me the need to share you this message today. Hopefully it won't be the third best sermon that I had wanted to give you. Hopefully it'll be sufficient. Uh, but as we were doing, as, as we encourage you all to do, to sit around the dinner table this past week, my oldest son asked this very poignant question. He said, why is the church ineffective? <laughs> Nice, easy discussion, you know. <laughs> At least he's thinking beyond the Patriots and the Red Sox. So why isn't the church having an impact? Why is the church viewed as irrelevant? This is a 17-year-old kid, and it's amazing to hear what God is stirring in him. And for those of you who don't trust that your kids are listening, let me reassure you, they are. And it really was a great question it was led to some great insights. I kind of sat back and listened. It was a great discussion that followed. So I'm thankful for that. Thank you, Caleb. But I want to partly address a topic today that partly addresses my son's question. And my title for today is Keep Your Word. Okay, I want to submit to you that the opposite of keeping your word, that is not keeping your word, 
is rampant in our culture today. You can say amen or nod your head if you agree, but I'm going to get you some places where you're going to start shaking your head pretty seriously in a minute. I think not keeping your word is rampant, and I think we need to contend against that as the body of Christ. And I think we also need to realize how much God detests people not keeping their word. We not keeping our word. So let me give you a brief warning. Um, I'm going to try to intersperse as much grace in this discussion as I can this morning. But we're going to be talking about some tough topics, some very difficult things that may challenge you. So let me take a risk here and say, if you do not want to be challenged, if you do not want to be convicted, you are welcome to get up and leave right now. But if you choose to stay, I'm not pulling punches. Okay? All right. It's your choice. Here's the outline. I think we're in a deception epidemic. I think we are to keep our word and I don't think we typically grasp how important keeping our word is to God. That's what I want to talk about today. I'll break it up into three things. Let's talk about the first thing here. How many people have ever had someone flat out lie to them? Okay. How many people, let's ranch it down, give it a little more subtlety, have someone dis greatly but distinctly deceive them. You didn't quite know it at first, but then they were deceptive to you. And those are pretty obvious when you think about it, but I want to submit to you that what I'm talking about is way more than not telling the truth. How many people have had anyone ever no-show on them? Okay. Anybody ever been stood up for not only a date, but a meeting or anything like that? Anybody? Okay. You're starting to feel the blood pressure go up a little bit. Um, how many have ever had anybody you've dealt with always change their mind? You can't figure out what's actually happening. How many have ever had anybody mislead them, whether it was intentional or not? Okay, how many people have ever had anybody ghost them? That's Casper, the friendly ghost. <laughs> when I read the Bible, the only ghosting I see is the holy ghosting. Right? I don't see ghosting in there. Ghosting means you just don't show up, you, you just cut things off, you don't talk to anybody. That's not cool. How about incessant delays? Anybody ever run into that? And I'm not thinking just the RMV or other government agencies. How many people have ever been left holding the bag? You're dealing with that. I could go on and on. Of course, all of you have. And we've experienced someone else not keeping their word to us, even to the point that it causes us harm. We have to pay for it, so forth. So let me pause there. We've all experienced that. It's frustrating at best. It's potentially harmful at worst. Let me pause and just say, if you've experienced that, and I saw all of you nodding your heads, raising your hands, 
as Christ followers, we need to choose to forgive those who didn't keep their word to us. So we have a choice. We need to forgive them. But again, we've been talking about pandemics the past few years. I think we're facing this people's inability to keep their word is in epic proportions. Maybe it's always been there, but I would argue that we're in, probably have, we have always been in, a deception epidemic. And if you have any social media, you read anything online, it's hard to tell what to believe, who to trust, what's going on, whether you can count on anybody. And I want to say that's not how it should be. Okay? Let me tell you my last month so you can understand where I'm coming from. In this past month, I went to a doctor's appointment and they kept me waiting and kept me waiting and then started putting in people ahead of me that showed up after me. I got up and left. I'm going to a new doctor. <laughs> okay. Um, no offense to anybody in the trades, but I've had plumbers show up or not, and I'll be there between 12 and 4. Maybe. Okay. And then they ghosted me and I had to reschedule and reschedule and here I am I'm changing my schedule to accommodate them to help deal with something I need fixed and eventually they showed up like that'll be 350 bucks so I'll write you a check between 12 and 4 <laughs> that doesn't work right uh, people have not kept appointments and I, I can't count how many times that's happened I've had people not doing the work they say they've done to the point of six to eight times. We've had to write performance letters, letters of reprimand, because things weren't getting done when and how they should. I've had to fight to save six-figure deals that people agreed to, and then were reneging on the deals. We've had to go back and reopen the discussion, say, hey, thought we agreed on that. That's hundreds of thousands of dollars. Hold on a second. Um, I've had people change their minds, not follow through, not delivery. I've actually had people lie to me, and I found out later on, and they wouldn't even admit it when they caught it. I've had people never call me back when they said they would. I've had meetings that just people no-showed. And, I mean, it's even worse now when you're online in Zoom and you're staring at your own ugly mug. I don't need to look at that for, I could go on and on and on, right? All of these various forms and instances of people not doing that are people not keeping their words. It's certainly caused me angst and frustration, delays, more work, more wasted time, more energy, time to deal with that. I would say in the past few weeks, I've probably spent at least half my time addressing these issues, okay? So I can see that this is a challenge. And I said, God, all right, maybe this is why this is the third priority in my mind sermon, but you want me to give it just if for no other reason to help me deal with the stuff in my life. And I asked God, I said, God, what do you want me to do about all this? People are not keeping their word. He said two things. First, you need to forgive, 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 and forgive again. And when God says that to you, it's like, I don't want to hear that. Forgive, forgive, forgive again. 
And he says, tell my people what I have to say about this topic. So that's you. You've been frustrated. That's me. I've been frustrated when this happens. Let's get real. Um, I had a few years ago, uh, like a third cousin, a distant relation who was waiting for, uh, I believe it was a health related compensation. He was waiting for a check. He had trouble paying the bills. He couldn't pay the bills. He kept calling this organization. They didn't provide him information. He had crickets. He heard nothing. And he kept calling, he kept writing, and nothing happened. And he got so fed up, he just lost hope that on one Saturday morning, he shot himself in the head, killed himself. The following Monday, a check showed up in the mail. Because he lost hope, and he didn't realize that people weren't keeping their word. It was delayed word, and his hope had run out. And I don't want that to happen to us. I would say simply that we as Christians, as Christ followers, as ambassadors of Christ, were admonished to keep our words. And I'm not laying his suicide on those who didn't necessarily respond to him or keep their word or delayed or didn't do their job. That was his own choice. But I'm saying we have impacts on others when we do not keep our word and we probably don't realize that. So let me drive this home with a bunch of scriptures to point you to this. And then I want to talk to you about why this is so important to God. So a little disclaimer, I was talking with Scott earlier. Usually I like to camp out in one place, give you expository preaching, exegete the word. This is a bit more eisegetical, but what I'm trying to do is show you through the totality of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the books of history, the books of wisdom, the prophets, the New Testament, the letters, the gospels, this theme and thread runs throughout the Bible. And I'm just gonna give you a few examples, okay? And literally I have like 15 verses of slides, 15 slides of different verses. So put your seatbelt on, we're gonna go quick but I don't want to miss this. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable as murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So this is in the book of Revelations. It's at the end. It's talking about the disposition of individuals after the final judgment. You can look at the cowardly and faithless, okay, that's not good. The detestable murderers, sexually immoral sorcerers, really drug dealers, idolaters, and then all liars. So we have laws on the books for sexual predators. We have laws on the books for drug dealers and murderers. No one's going to jail really for telling lies. We have somehow de-emphasized that. If you think that's just New Testament, let's look at the next one. In the Proverbs, it says, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will perish. If you read the Proverbs, literally one out of every third proverb, someone counted, and it's an estimate, but about one out of a th every three Proverbs talks about speech, what you say, what comes out of your mouth, 
Are you able to speak in a godly manner? That's how important the Proverbs thinks about this. And I think it's fascinating to me that look at the company they put liars in. It's with axe murderers and child rapists, you know, just the dregs of our society. And we don't tend to put them in that same category. There's different levels of sin, we often say. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine. Again, I'm trying to be sensitive, but I don't want to back off this very important topic. God is saying, my people don't do this, okay? I take this very seriously. This is sinful. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot count, cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. And what this is getting at is there's a practice of, I'm going to say yes, but if it's a full moon on the second Tuesday of the month and the grain harvest is in and I have a hair parted this way. So I'm giving you all these legal outs that, as a way that I can't keep my word. That's kind of what that's referring to. And Jesus is speaking here saying, say yes or say no and mean it. Okay? I'm sorry to keep beating this down, but let me keep going. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said way back in the Pentateuch. It's talking about, even in the Proverbs, it says you keep your word even if it causes you harm in the short term. You have to do this. When you make a vow, uh, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to keep it, because he will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you will not be guilty of sin. Be careful to follow through on what comes from your lips, because you have freely vowed to the Lord your God with your own mouth. So, hopefully... This very quick and focused presentation across the Bible gives you a sense of why we need to keep our word. Okay, I think God takes it seriously when we say we're going to do something and we don't. Now, uh, let me pause. If this is convicting you, if this is something that you're going, "Mm, maybe I need to deal with this. If this sounds harsh, that's not the intent. What I want to say is just agree with God 
if you're tripped up in this area with these sins, the sin of not keeping your word, agree with them. That's another way of saying confess this sin and ask for forgiveness. And 1 John 1, 9 tells us that God is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us if we confess our sins. So I just want to make sure that if this is impacting you or those watching online, pay attention to this, listen to it, refrain from it, repent from it, turn from it, start keeping your word, ask God to help you to do that. Now, some of you may be sitting here saying, I got this, I don't struggle with this, this is not my issue. That's great, and I, I'm glad for that. I would just, like I did to myself, encourage you to provide some self-examination to make sure we're not missing anything. But if you are not wrestling with this, this is not convicting you. I still wanna walk through this for the following reason, because I don't think we grasp how this plays out in how God is represented and how this impacts people's view of his character. Why is it important for us to keep God's word? Why is this critical? Well, think of it this way. When I say to my son, go tell your daughter, come on, or go tell your sister, my daughter, come on down, she needs to do her chores, and if she does extra chores, I'll give her extra allowance money. When he goes up and talks to her, she might not listen to him, but if he says, oh, and dad said it, that changes the dynamic a bit. Okay, he's then my representative or vice versa. You get that idea. So we're the ambassadors of Jesus if we call on his name and we're Christ followers. And we are his representatives. And let me give you this verse. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Another version says, trust his word, or let his word be your yes and yes. Hang on one second. Yep, there it is. And then whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. And this is really the last one is James, the half-brother of Jesus, is saying, yes. Just be simple about it and let your no be no. But whoever keeps his word, the love of God is perfected in him. And by this, we know that we're in him. If we are keeping his word and his word is in us and we are keeping our word, people are going to know that and it's going to set us apart. Do, do you understand the distinction here? When we keep his word, it sets us apart and the love of God comes out of us by keeping his word. And when we practice that by keeping our word, showing up on time, doing what we say we're going to do, following through, telling the truth even though it's painful, when we do that, people are no, going to know that we're in Jesus. 
Okay, that's a promise right there. I've never read that verse before as a promise, but I think it's pretty clear. I, I can't drive this home enough. The perception of God, the character of God, the attributes of God, the behavior of God is often, rightly or wrongly, attributed to us and how we represent him. I think I need to say that again. The perception of God, the character of God, the attributes of God, the behavior of God is often, whether it's right or wrong, it's attributed to how we represent him. I think it's then imperative that we keep our word because the world is watching us and will know God by how they watch us. Sorry, this is very sober and somber. But I really had the sense I needed to flag this to us all. And, and fellas, men in particular, let me flag this to you. I think the views and perception and knowledge of God that those in your life in particular is way more dependent upon how you act, how you carry out yourself, how you keep your word than you or I probably realize. I think there's an impact we as men, as male father figures, have that we're unaware of and we need to keep our word because how people view God often is how they view us. I hate to lay that on you guys, but that's truth. Okay? All right. The reason I'm bringing this aside is it's critical. I, I just... The zeal in my heart when I was preparing this was I feel like God's character is under assault. And I'm zealous that we get his character right. I want God to be represented well. And the way he's represented is by us, his people. And I'm, I'm not saying this is the only way we represent him. Yes, how we love one another is another aspect of this. Yes, how we go through our lives, how kind we are to other people, how patient we are, forgiving, all of that's there. But the truth and the element of keeping our word is how God keeps his word is really going to impact how people view God's character. And frankly, I'm tired of God's character, which is unassailable, being constantly sniped at and picked on and shot at and people taking an ax to it and trying to erode it. Again, if you think or you feel you've fallen short in this area, there's a grace, <laughs> okay? I, I can't emphasize that enough as well. There's forgiveness if we fall short of that. I, I want to give you a few verses to show you what God says about his character as it relates to keeping his word. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? I miss Dan and Rita. Those are rhetorical questions. They would have answered for us. <laughs> no. <laughs> right? God's not like that. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. 
also the glory of Israel, a nickname of God, will not lie nor change his mind, for he is not a man that he would change his mind. And there's a lot of details, a lot of nuance to this in this particular story. But what it is getting at is God is given his word. We can bank on it. Here's a really interesting one in Hebrews. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And we sang about that earlier this morning. What I love about this is in, the, in that cultural context, if you were to give an oath, it was almost a legal thing. I'm going to swear by this ruler. I'm going to swear by this leader. I'm going to swear by this respected person. I'm going to use their name as a covering for me, telling you I am serious about what I'm talking about. And God's saying, all right, you want to do that? I'll swear by somebody. Let me look around. You know what? No one else is as good as me. I'm going to swear by myself. You can count on me. I give you my word. That's what this is getting at. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. So recall this verse and the last set I just read to you from Hebrews. There's an element of keeping your word, but there's an element of keeping your word that leads to hope. That's the point. That's why I'm driving this home today. Just like my cousin who committed suicide because he lost hope, we have hope. When God speaks, we have hope. And it's not just some nebulous hope that's out there. It's hope for eternal life. And when people rip on God's word and we have cause to harm God's character and other people are looking at that, we're eroding hope and the world desperately needs hope and the world desperately needs eternal life. If you can think of all the things God has promised, eternal life is pretty near the top of the list, if not at the top of the list. And if people don't trust God, they can't bank on that. They can't count on him. Eternity is at stake. That's why this is so critical. Do you follow me? I feel like I'm being earnest and everybody's like, whatever, I'll get some coffee or something. God gives his word. God gives his promises. And we can bank on them. They are certain. They are sure. And we have to represent that to the world around us in a way because their eternal salvation is at stake. Okay. Couple more verses. For with God nothing is ever impossible, and no word of God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. 
This is the amplified version, which basically means there were a bunch of hippies in California that's expanded it. Sorry, those of you from California. But uh, what, what it means is they went in and they tried to tease out some of the nuance in, the, in this language, this verse, uh, the original Greek. And they're basically, you know, your version probably says nothing is impossible with God or probably something like that. This is saying nothing is ever impossible and no word of God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. And I, I like that they tried to tease this out and pulled it apart a little further. There's just this sense that when God says something, it's going to happen. When he says, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and just and I will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. When God says, I sent my son to the world so that the world could believe in him and have eternal life. We can bank on that. And myriads, hundreds, thousands of other promises in the word or the spirit may have given you. When God speaks, we can count on it. And I want you to grasp that in some of these verses here. Psalm 138 says, I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Other versions say you have magnified your word in accordance with your name. We all understand. We used to have a poster back near where Mary's sitting that had all the names of God and was talking about how important it was and all the huge aspects of who God was and the glory of his name. And that was his identity, and that's how we could know him. And what this verse is getting at is God elevates or magnifies or prioritizes his word equal to or maybe even above his name. And we're prohibited from using God's name in vain right? You know that. We're prohibited from using God's word in vain and treating his word cheaply. Okay. Again, I, I don't think we really grasp this. I don't think it, we understand how critical it is for us to realize that being able to trust in his word that his word is going to be kept, that his word shall come to pass, that we can hope in it and bank on it, is so crucial, not for us, not for, this is so crucial to God himself. He values his word hugely. Not only the written word in the Bible, but when he speaks it, it is so important to him. I can't do this justice this morning. I'm not going to try. I just want you to hear God values his word. When he speaks something, when he gives his word, it's on par with his glory of his name. I'm not landing very well, so let me land the plane. Uh, recall I read something to you in Greek at the beginning. This is what it is in English. Let me read it to you now. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And then later on in the chapter, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. God's word is so important to him that he embodied it. Okay? God identifies himself with his word. And you see there in verse 14, the word became flesh. Jesus is the representation of God's word. And God said, did, and is doing, and will do everything he's saying and will do and has done is seen in Jesus. I hope you can see, and again, I'm, I'm struggling, I'm not articulate, I'm not getting the message through, but God values his word to the point where he would embody it, and Jesus is understood to be his word. So when we are not taking his word seriously, when we're behaving like our word and the ability for people to trust in us doesn't matter, we are dishonoring and disrespecting God, his word, and I would dare say even Jesus. And I don't want us to do that. I'm, I'm giving us perhaps a warning for the future, warning for pressures we're facing. I'm giving us perhaps some gentle, as gentle as I can make it, correction to, to not do this because our culture doesn't need more of that. We need people who are going to keep their word and to model Jesus for the world around us. A couple other things. There's so much we can unpack. Uh, one thing I'm worth pointing out, verse 3, God spoke, you know the story in Genesis, and the world came into being, and nothing came into being apart from him. And he holds all things together in other Bible verses. Without God's word, the molecular structure of you and I falls apart. The world as we know it just stops. It drops. God's word holds all things together. Apart from his word, nothing exists, nothing happens. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This isn't a metaphor, that's a statement. And the embodiment of the words in the person of Jesus is critical for us to understand this message. That Jesus came, he did his finished work, he died on the cross for sins, he rose from the grave. There's an empty cross and an empty tomb. Just the way God said that would happen throughout all of the Old Testament, all the history, all the predictions. God keeps his word. Jesus is proof of that. We get to walk in that. And I encourage you, I beg of you, I, I don't know what else to say. Please be people that keep your word as you represent the living word. Yeah. 
God keeps his word. I just want to encourage us to keep doing that ourselves. To recap and to wrap up, we're in a deception epidemic. I think you all agree with that. We are to keep our word. Hopefully, the real quick survey through a dozen or so verses shows you that we are to keep our word. And the thing I'm, I, I know I didn't do it justice. I didn't do it well. But I want us to grasp how important that is to God. Keeping our word is a representation of him keeping his word. And it matters to us. It matters to the world around us, those in our lives. But it matters to God that we do that. Let me just stop and pray. <laughs> well, Jesus, not a lot of joy right at the moment in the room, but it's okay, I think, to be serious with you once in a while. I simply ask, Spirit, that you would take the imperfect thoughts of my mind and heart and pencil and use them as you see fit. I, I pray that this would challenge people not in a way of condemnation, not in a way of hopelessness, not in a way of frustration, but would challenge them to maybe confess their sins, to, to be open to conviction and movement by the Holy Spirit. But more than that, I pray it would challenge all of us to see your character, to see who you are, and to know you better and to value you even more than we do now. Oh, Jesus, please forgive me of my sins for not keeping my word so many times. Please forgive me for all of the things I pointed out. Please work in and through us. Help us to be people that are resolute when it comes to our word, when it comes to your word. Help us to hear your word, to not only be hearers, but to do it. Jesus, I, I pray for those who are struggling with this right now. Would you just give them a sense of grace and peace that they too can walk through this issue? Would you help us to all be people that the world looks at and say, that helps me to see God and to know him better because I saw Rafe, because I saw Dylan, because I saw Doug or Charlie or Eugene. Please help us to be those kinds of people. Amen.